Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Needs, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, and welcome home, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, Susan. How are you doing this evening? I am doing so well. How about you? Oh, I'm doing great. Very well, thank you. And yeah, welcome home, Justine and Monica Jean. Yeah. (laughs) 
and wow, somebody asked me if I felt let down after the comfrey conference was over, and I said, "Oh my goodness, no, I feel buoyed up." Oh, why would you be let down? Because it's over. Oh, like the vacuum of space, you mean just... Right, but but it's not over. I feel like we really met our goals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What was our subtitle? It's time to end the fear. Do you feel less fear? Oh, so much less. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really have a whole lot of fear to begin with, but I feel more confident than before, I'll say that. Um, I was ready to go before, and I feel extra confident and ready to go now. <laughs> yes, what was interesting to me was that it seemed to me that each presenter had a little pocket of fear. Yeah. Right. I, so I, yeah. one would, one might say, so long as you use this species, it's safe, but don't use the other species because that's not safe. And one might say, oh, no, you you know, you can't use that species, you have to use this species, uh, <clears throat> and so some of it seemed kind of contradictory, but rather than see it as contradictory, what I saw it as was nobody's fear was really completely valid. Right, and also what it seemed was once someone had experience with it, and was willing to use their reliance on themselves and got comfortable with something, the fear at least moved away from that one. And then they just put the fear on the one that wasn't the one in their garden, maybe, or wasn't the one that they worked with. So, yeah, that pocket of fear was there, but it seems like Comfrey was such a star that it came through in one variety or another to say, don't be afraid, I'm here. (laughs) Really? So uh, perhaps this will help people understand what's been going on. Pyrolyzidine alkaloids, which are present in actually about three, maybe more percent of plants, are toxic and lethal to human beings. They cause damage to all the internal organs. They can cause death. There was a notorious case in which flour um, for making bread was contaminated with senecio, uh, which contains pyrolyzidine alkaloids, and 8,000 people got sick and 3,000 people died. However, that wasn't comfrey, and it was 50 years ago, and it has never happened since. So pyrolyzidine alkaloids are dangerous, toxic, and lethal. Comfrey contains pyrolyzidine alkaloids. The therefore that people come to is therefore comfrey is dangerous, toxic, and lethal to human beings. Right. And I think think what we heard from so many voices was, no, it's not. And what did you learn about how to get rid of pyrolyzidine alkaloids? Well, pretty much just pick the plant and let it dry. 
or you could heat it. <laughs> Both of those methods seem to do a number on the pyrolizidine alkaloids. So seem by the time it's in my infusion, um, I've heated it quite a bit, and it's been dry for quite a while. So I feel pretty good knowing that. <laughs> yeah, so drying the pyrolizidine alkaloids often escape during drying. Storage, pyrolizidine alkaloids degrade during storage. And heat, when you pour boiling water over them, the pyrolizidine alkaloids are deactivated. Mm. So, well, surprise, no wonder I've been able to drink 72 quarts of comfrey leaf infusion a year for 35 years without any problems of any kind. I am not ingesting pyrolizidine alkaloids. And which speaker was it that said, there was a question about can you eat the flowers, and the speaker said, not only can you eat them, but once the plant flowers, that also uses up a lot of the pyrolizidine alkaloids. Yes. 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 And of course. It was somebody towards the end of the week. I remember that. <laughs> right. And that's, but that's what the comfrey told me. The comfrey said, just wait, wait, wait. Don't just come out here and pick my leaves. Just wait until I have this flower stalk and I'm flowering and then harvest the whole stalk. <sighs> but truth be told, I don't know if that's what is being done commercially. Right. And I would say that 90% of the comfrey that I have drunk over 35 years has been commercial comfrey, not my own homegrown comfrey. I'm not spending a lot of time harvesting and drying herbs. I'm spending more time talking to people, writing books, playing with the goats, digging in the garden. Hmm. Love it. How about you? What's up with you? Oh, well, it cooled off. It was so warm during the week of the Comfrey Conference. It's like, of course, it's 90 degrees outside while we're doing Zoom sessions in the middle of the day. Uh, But now it's nice and cool. So I've been out in the garden more and enjoying the goaties. Oh, the baby goats are just perfect stage yes oh my gosh now the still the two that are siblings sleep and cuddle together and but the one is allowed much closer now to sleep and when they play now it, they all three play together no problem um not that there was a problem before but the mother of the the two siblings was a little bit protective at first so it's fun to see all three of them just bounding around one did this like incredible sideways leaping movement today it was like wait a minute where how did you even decide to go that way all of a sudden and where did that power come from it was so fun (laughs) it is it just makes you laugh at laugh it does it does and one of the neighbor um young young women is coming by uh young She's a teenager, so um, she's stopping by to see the goats, and that's so fun. The goats love seeing her, one especially, and so it's just been fun connecting with people in the neighborhood about all the fun the goats obviously bring. (laughs) And their um, 
at this age, they're starting to balance on things. Oh, yes. And the, the one... Logs, rocks, their mothers. Yes, they do flying leaps and try to stay perfectly poised on the mother's back. <laughs> it's really quite a sight. And, yeah, that one mother, she was teaching her baby, honestly, before she even showed her, like, you know, or, you know, before the baby even had a sip of milk, she was trying to get her interested on jumping on the stump that was in the stall. So they are having a blast <laughs> the balance. And, yeah. 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 Oh, and there's a big here. That's who you hear with me. So everyone, that's that's not a background sound. Sorry, it's, you got to hear it because he won't let me put him down if I do. It gets louder. <laughs> <laughs> Who's making the sound? It's a kitten. <laughs> it's a kitten. Aww. Well, yeah, one of the April. one of the presenters at the country conference was Bridget Dirty. And I just got a package from her with her brand new book called Healing Herbal Infusions. It was such a beautiful book. She held it up. Oh, my gosh. I wanted to, like, yes, I have a note to buy it. It's so beautiful. It really just is beautifully done with um, you know, really beautiful color illustrations and then lots and lots of recipes here. Um, gut heal to sane, multi-herb skin tonic, burdock infusion for clearer skin, rose petal elixir, ginger to sane, St. Jones Wort tincture, and St. Jones Wort is next. So if you liked the Comfrey Conference and you said, wow, I could have, I could have sent in a short, I could have talked about my relationship with the plant, then <clears throat> here comes Hypericum perforatum, and next May we're going to have the St. John St. Jones Wort Conference, because it's time to end the fear there too, isn't it? Yes, yes it is. Benny agrees. The dog is chiming in as well tonight. Sorry, I'm all alone. Dog is chiming in as well. So, there's... Um, a link for presenter application. But if you decide that you want to do that, we usually agree. It's not like we're like, you know, saying, oh, no, that, not this one, yeah, only that one. Um, so if for some reason you haven't gotten that near, it's blooming by you already, although it shouldn't, I think, by the, not until usually mid-June. Um Go ahead and start making videos. Um, it's one of the reasons I really want to get the word out and get people to think about what do you want to present? What do you want to talk about? So what are some things you want people to talk about? Oh, well, me personally? Yeah. Would you like to hear anybody talk about I'd like to hear someone talk about um, the effect of hypericum on the skin. 
that's the first that came to my mind because I use it most often as a sun sun shield. I guess as a sun shield, say. and yet the that people means- who are afraid of it say that it has a detrimental effect in terms of your skin in the sun. Right. Exactly. So, and, and I think I, it's important to address that, and I'd like to hear <clears throat> from multiple people, and it'd be wonderful to have a presentation and to go into the details of what we think might be going on and how the infused oil might be different than taking the urban capsules, obviously is. <clears throat> it, strangely yeah, enough, about when, I was, when I was first meeting Hypericum, which is a wild plant in my area. And I looked it up in books. The book said, and this is a long time ago, the book said, never use this herb with anyone who's depressed. Well, nowadays the books say, never use this herb with anyone who's depressed and taking medication. That's what I've heard. Fortunately, I'm glad they've changed that because it seems like the best for someone who's depressed and not taking medication. So I'd like to hear from people about that. I'd like to hear from I'd like to hear people's personal stories. I took Hypericum in this way while I was taking this drug. This is what happened to me. <clears throat> There's supposed to be this terrible thing that happens. I've asked and asked, and I've been around quite a few people who've been taking antidepressive drugs and Hypericum. And that's I find birth control too. That's another one that gets tired. Okay, that's another one, isn't it? You can't so take I would love to hypericum that. if you're taking birth control because then the birth control pills won't work. This is true. I don't know because I'm not young enough to be in that milieu. But I think it's a really interesting question. Is this only the tincture? Is this a constant use or erratic use? Like I'm using hypericum tincture, you know, constantly on a daily basis and have used it in very large quantities. So I'd also like to hear from people, one of the reasons that I'm taking it is to help restore my nerve function from the surgery. And one of the reasons that I used it every 15 minutes, dropper full every 15 minutes, was to get rid of nerve pain from the surgery. So I'd like to hear people talking about that, too. It's a pretty pretty interesting plant, huh? It is. And I've heard people use it for, like, if they get a cold sore outbreak. I'd like to hear about that. Is, are you using it as, like, a topical for antiviral? Are you taking it internally and topically? And definitely nerves, because I use it, and my husband, oh, like, that he reaches for it now right away as soon as he pulls, like, Something in his back, I don't know if it's a nerve or a muscle, but within an hour, it is a game changer. <laughs> and that's just topically. So, yes, I think this is another lovely plant. I'm I'm so excited. Like, I can hear the other ones clamoring, like, me next, me next. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's focus on Hypericum perforatum right now. And... Last week, I started a story about Goldilocks. And we left Goldilocks as she walked away. 
hearing the bees humming song, feel merrily, let it fill you with peace, let it fill you with glee. Goldilocks could not help but smile. She kept the bees' advice close to mind. Follow your nose, use your feet, and deeply inhale the earthy forest air. The woods were lovely that day. The greenery was beautiful, birdsong sweet, and dappled light cheered her on her meandering path. Goldilocks heard the soft buzz of bees occasionally, but their song was now more of a thrumming, wordless hum. The wind blew gently, and on that gentle wind, she noticed a shift, a new texture. The earthy damp so familiar was now cut by a different kind of green scent. She paused, inhaled deeply, and feeling confirmed, turned toward the wind and followed the fresh aroma. As she progressed, the shade grew less, the light, the breeze, and the scent stronger. It was as though she were inhaling the warmth of the sun, and then the end of the trees, open sky above, but before the wide blue stood a sentinel, a tall, bushy hedge. It looked like a silvery-green, ropey monster with mazes of blue flowers crisscrossing its body. Coming close to the hedge, it was unmistakable that this was the source of the fresh green smell. She continued her walk alongside it, trailing her hand on the plant as she went. It felt like a friend, a companion after her long walk through the woods alone. And then, unexpectedly, a small break in the wall of green. Goldilocks peered through. Beyond was a spread of pale rock which fell away to reveal an endless blue sea beneath the bright blue sky. Goldilocks squeezed through the break in the hedge. Her traverse broke some branches and tested her with the plant's insistent fragrance. She sat down on the warm rocks to rest and gaze on the horizon. While she was sitting there, she fiddled with a broken branch from the giant hedge, admiring the tiny orchid-like blooms among the plump, needly leaves. It was familiar. An image came to her, her mother needing fresh herb into toe the same herb as the plant in her hand. Rosemary, her mother, her mother. Now, Goldilocks remembered. That will continue next week. Wow, what a spot to leave us with. <laughs> wow. I've heard that the milk bank from donations is like really getting a lot. 
but what's the debate? Right. What is the debate? Well, I don't, should, there shouldn't be any debate at all. Let's just take care. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. There's a debate that we should hold off on that? I don't know. I, I have no idea. Wow. I hope not. Yeah, it seems like absolutely. If, if, right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Do we have any questions or are we just going to talk all night away? Well, we have a question um, from a long number, so you've got your hands up. I'll raise. I'll let everyone else know how to raise their hands, which is by pressing one. If you have a question tonight and would like to speak live with Susan, please press one on your keypad. That will put your hand up, and we'll know to open your line for a question. Our first caller is dialed in from the three four six six seven zero seven seven three eight nine. You are live with Susan. Hello. Good evening. Can you hear me? I can. Thank you. Oh, hi, Susan. Hi, Sarah Ellen. This is Nicole, the knitter, natural dyer, calling in from Spain. That's the why it's a really long number. Time um, Weaver. Hi. Yes, Time Weaver. Yes, I submitted some comfrey shorts about dyeing with comfrey. You sure Beautiful ones, too. Yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to call in. First of all, I have a few things to say and a question. But first of all, I just wanted to say thank you so much for the Comfrey Conference. It's been so wonderful. And I am slowly but surely savoring all of the videos and really enjoying all of the presenters and learning so much. And I wanted to mention Bridget Doherty because she's amazing. And I loved watching her video today. Um, and then you just spoke about her. So kudos on the Comfrey Conference because it's amazing. And, yes. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. I I always feel, like, nervous when I call in also because it's almost 2 o'clock in the morning here, and I'm definitely not a night person, but I decided to stay up with the full moon energy and and call in. Um, So... I am calling on behalf of a dear friend. I know that you don't really do secondhand consultations. And I'm, I'm calling because my, my dear friend gave me permission and gratitude to, to call in like this late at night because she also lives in Spain. Um, and we thought that maybe you could just like speak generally about the topic and maybe share some wisdom. And I could always call back with like more details maybe next week if that's necessary. But I'm calling because um, my, my friend just had a baby, her second baby, uh, about a month ago. So her little baby, Edith, is her name. Um, she's a month old, and my friend's name is Aida. And unfortunately, her baby is now dealing with like blood in her stool. Um, and that's been going on now for about seven days after a visit to the hospital because baby Edith was having, like, some trouble breathing, like, when she was breastfeeding. And so they brought her in, and they did some tests, and they thought that it could be due, like, her breathing problem could be due to um, a urine infection. So they, like... Before getting the test results back, they put her on, like, intravenous antibiotics. 
Um, and then, like, four days later, they found out that it wasn't a urine infection, and so they don't know why she was having those breathing issues. And so now she's dealing with blood in her stool, and my friend and I were talking about it, and we thought that maybe it was, like, because of the antibiotics, maybe with her microbiome and her digestive system. So she actually went back to the doctor, the pediatrician, and the pediatrician said that it's it could be, it seems to be that Edith, the baby, is reacting, like, allergic reaction to um, dairy that her mom, Ida, is taking in. So the doctor recommended that the mom, my friend Ida, should, like, stay off of all dairy products for some time and see if that could be causing blood in the stool. But we are under the impression that, like, dairy that you would be taking in the mother would not be causing um, irritation. Maybe, I don't know. So if that is <laughs> enough information just to maybe talk generally about about how that might be related, dairy for the mom and, like, a lactose intolerance for the baby, I don't know. Maybe you could just share some thoughts about that. Well, the first thought I have is <clears throat> if you want to have a healthy baby and you think there's something wrong with your baby, stay as far away as you can from the hospitals and doctors. That's what I think, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because yeah. you are going to be over-medicalized and you are going to wind up with a worse problem than you had to begin with, and that's exactly what we're looking at here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That a pretty minor problem um, was <clears throat> overtreated, mm-hmm. and I don't think anyone would disagree that it was overtreated. That if you give an infant antibiotics before you know that they are needed, that that is overtreatment, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that that overtreatment has caused blood in the stool which, again, it would have been best if the parents just said, oh, the <clears throat> bad word antibiotic has caused blood in my baby's stool. Perhaps we want to mm-hmm. s- stop giving her any antibiotic. Perhaps we want to make sure that she has, you know, that <clears throat> mom has plenty of probiotics. And what can we mm-hmm. do to to help baby without taking her back to the doctor which caused this problem in the first place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. So mm-hmm. once all of that hasn't happened, mm-hmm. then I don't want to get involved. Yeah, absolutely. Why would I want to get involved with this? These are people who... Know to go to the doctor. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's hard for me because I'm always trying to... That's different. I understand it's hard for you. But it's a waste of of your care for them. You care for them. Care for them in a way that they can accept. Exactly, exactly. I know. There are many ways... Many, many ways to care for people. And the most caring way is to care for people the way they want to be cared for, not the way we want to care for them. 
<laughs> yeah, of course. Right? I've all experienced the difference between that, right? Mhm, mhm, for sure. So yeah, you are a loving and caring friend. Be a loving and caring friend to them. They're yeah. they're they are the ones who feel responsible for this baby. Yeah, for sure. But. Just out of curiosity, do you think that, like, a baby could react to, like, mother's milk if, like, the mother was, like, eating dairy and, like, if the baby was allergic to dairy, is that possible? Is the mother eating onions? Is the mother eating garlic? Is the mother eating things in the cabbage family? Those are things that we know babies react to. Those would be the Hmm. first things that I would question. Mm -hmm. I think the whole idea of lactose intolerance is kind of silly, given that human Mm -hmm. milk contains lactose. Of course. Of course. I know. Yeah. No, I agree with you for sure, but I just have been, for the past month, basically. And and again, it's their choice to ask the doctor. Of course. I think that they know, like, my friend is... mm, I think that she knows, but now the thing is that they, I don't know. Well, I appreciate They feel responsible. Yeah. They feel responsible for this infant. We were, we had a a three-week-old at the work exchange weekend. Mm -hmm. It was such a delight. And Mm -hmm. I told the mom that her work that weekend was to take care of the baby. Oh, of course. And that if if she got any other work done, that was extra added attraction. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the time, she said, yes, you know, she said, well, I only worked about this many hours. I said, no, you worked just as much as anybody else, and you were taking care of this baby, so you could paid for it. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Yes, it's hard. What uh, what all parents need is support. Yep. Absolutely. So I will just do my best to support them. You in and Support and, them, you know, and love them. Yeah, and listen and just be there. And also not constantly. I know that a lot of, like, family and friends are constantly like, how are you? How's the baby? How's everything? And so I try to talk to her about other things and just keep her mind off of all that stress. So, oh, how lovely. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, thank, thank you, Nicole. You. Oh, thank you, Susan. And I, I just, I really just wanted to send my green blessings and give my gratitude. I listen every week to this show, and I think it was Rose once who called in and said that, like, she feels like everyone who calls in are, like, sisters and, like, family. And it is so true. Like, I, I recognize people's voices when they call, and I just wanted to give a shout-out to everyone else who who calls in every week and just say that this program is wonderful. I learned so much. I'm so, like, proud and inspired by your consistency, like, always here every week, even if things, like, are going on when you were, like, not doing well in the hospital and just amazing. So just wanted to, to say that and give my thanks and call in. And yeah, thank you. And I hey, everybody, if you, I know there's a ton of stuff at the Comfrey Conference, but you can find Nicole, who's also known as Time T H Y M E Time Weaver, showing mm-hmm. off 
Herc Humphrey dyed beautiful yarn and talking about oh. it with her dog. It's all, it's just fabulous. <laughs> so My dog is right here with me listening as well. He always listens <laughs> to the show. <laughs> so look for Nicole. In oh, the thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And I'm so excited about a, a Hypericum conference. I was thinking, I was like, now we need all the plants. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. Um, and and also I wanted to say thank you. I just discovered, well, I've heard about, about it before, but I just started listening to your healthy life about trees. And that's wonderful. And I loved that you read a segment from Hamnet because I read Hamnet in December and it was like my favorite book of the entire year. Hamnet was so beautiful. And I love that you read a segment from from Maggie. I forget her last name. Maggie O'Harris. Her her book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. Um, so beautiful Good that, memory. that book. Is. Yeah, I love all of the. Um, she talks so much about herbs and everything in that book, and it's a really magical story. And I liked that you you read it to us. So thank yeah. you for everything. I will. You're <laughs> welcome. Thanks for staying up late to connect with us, Nicole. Yes, I'll call back another day if I have any other questions about myself or about my dog okay, or something. So. Alrighty. Okay, have a good night. Talk bye, to bye, you bye soon. Now. Ciao, ciao. Bye. Ciao. Oh, so lovely. Wow. All right. And it looks like uh, we have one caller who has did, pressed did one to raise chance, her hand. Did you get hmm? a chance to see Nicole, any of Nicole's shorts? I have not yet gotten to watch any of the shorts, or I have not yet watched any of the Completely shorts. Completely understood. So That's why I asked forward. that way. It, you've been doing so much, you may not have had time. Yeah, looking forward to it a lot. And super now, like, oh, wow, I didn't know somebody was going to do fabric dyeing. That sounds amazing. Yeah. So we have another question. Yeah, we have one caller that has pressed 1 to signal that they have a question. I'll remind everyone else listening to please press 1 if you have a question for Susan tonight. Our next caller with their hand raised is calling in from the 310 area code. From the 310, you are live with Susan. Hello, Susan. Hi. Thank you so much uh, for taking my call. I really appreciate it. Um, I have two questions, actually. I'll start with the more important of the two. Um, So I have a cat who is um, about 13. Um, I've had him since he was um, about six months old. And for the most part, he's been relatively healthy for most of his life, Um, hasn't had a lot of issues. We have – so he's quite – distrustful of people. I think he had quite a bit of health issues before I got him. He even had some uh, surgeries, I guess, on his eye. Um, and so he he doesn't even quite fully trust my partner and I. He trusts my partner a little bit more than he trusts me. Um, but, um, you, you know, whenever, thankfully, he has been relatively healthy, so we haven't had to give him, you know, any medication, eye drops, or anything of that nature. Um, Recently, so he's been losing weight, um, and my partner took him to get checked out, um, and he's also been meowing quite a bit, 
Um, and so we just thought, you know, we just wanted to maybe some, do just like a, a, a basic checkup to, just to see. Um, <clears throat> and uh, they came back and they said that they think that he had, um, he has diabetes. Um, they did some further blood work. I'm not sure exactly what they do to test it, um, but they said they look at it over time somehow. And they came back and they said, yeah, they have confirmed, yes, so he, ha- so he has diabetes. Um, they said it's a, it's a little bit more unusual to see um, di- diabetes come on at, at this age um, with, with cat that has, doesn't have any weight issues. Um, he, he's a larger cat um, just size-wise. He's very big, but he has always been fa- fairly slender. Um, so the vet's recommendation is, to start administering uh, insulin, and we've done that. We had done this once before with a previous cat. This was many years ago, before I found you and your work, and I was more into the, the sort of more um, medical uh, model of you know listening, to, going to the doctor, and kind of taking conventional medicine and, and sort of these sorts of things. Um, but with this cat. Um, I, I guess here's my here's my question. I'm I, I'm first of all, I wanted to know your thoughts about um, just the general situation. If it sounds like, um, you know, if you if you think it's a good idea to to give um, an animal administer an animal animal insulin if they're if they're diabetic, um, and um, but then the follow up question to that is. I don't know if it's going to be possible with him because he is, you know, he, he, he lets us pet him, but only occasionally and only if he's feeling very, feeling very comfortable. And the thought of having to prick him with a needle and administer this medication via syringe twice a day, um, just, I, I, don't, I just don't know if it's actually going to be possible. Um, so I just wanted to call and ask your advice and see what your thoughts might be. What you just said was very much my thought. It's like, oh, she just characterized this cat as being a cat who doesn't want to be held, doesn't want to be mm-hmm. around people, is freaked out by people. And, you know, the first time mm-hmm. put a, a needle in the cat could very well be the last. Yeah. Yeah. So it's okay to choose to let things play out the way they would play out in the natural world. It's okay to have the time and the resources and the possibility to create the reality we want. There's nothing wrong with that. Neither is there anything wrong with saying this is this is this cat's life and I'm not going to step in and traumatize the cat further because I choose to medicate it. That's an okay decision for you to make. Mm-hmm. It's not a decision you have to make, but it's a decision that you can make. Yeah. 
I wish my partner I, I felt similar to me because I, I, I hear you, and if it were just me, I wouldn't even be calling. I think, I, I think there's, you know, I, my partner very much w- wants to listen to the doctors um, and do, quote, unquote, the right thing because she thinks that that's the right thing, the best thing. Um, and so, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, we're having to navigate this together, obviously, as we're both, you know, we both care for this cat. Um, but she's also a reasonable person. And, you know, I, in situations before, we, we've had to navigate other health issues with, we don't have uh, children, but we do have other animals. And, um, you know, she, she, she has kind of come around to my side of things um, at times. Um, but, yeah, she, she definitely leans more toward the doctor's are the ones, the experts, and we should be listen, We should be doing whatever they say. It's, it's not a matter of what you should be doing. Yeah. It's, yes, the doctor's right. For this cat to live longer, it needs insulin. Just n- no question about that. The question is, how much longer, at what expense to your quality of life? The right thing to do has to include you, too. And so sometimes the right thing to do is what I'm calling the more natural thing to do. What the doctor is proposing is, let's face it, unnatural, right? That cat in nature would never be able to inject itself with insulin or to have another cat or another animal injected with insulin. Only in our world where we have the opportunity to do this is this even possible, but it doesn't mean that we are morally required to do it. In fact, a very good case could be made that there would be a greater moral requirement to let nature have its way, because nature will, won't it? Mm-hmm. It's not like this cat is going to live forever. Right. And I'm not saying that the cat's quality of life will be interfered with by the insulin in- injections, except for the fact that, as you have established, that this cat hasn't warmed to you and this isn't going to help. Mm-hmm. So in most instances, I would say it's not a big deal. You give the cat an insulin injection. I know people have given their cats insulin injections. You know, one woman for, I don't know, like 10 or 12 years, her cat is like so old now. <laughs> because she's just faithfully done it. So it really works. It's really good. What I'm saying is that's not the right choice or the only choice. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's, I think in my book it would be okay for you to say, I agree, this cat would live longer if it gets insulin 
But I don't want to participate in that. So if you want to do that, I'm here to support you in doing that, but I'm not here to do that. Mm. I felt a big wave of relief <laughs> uh, in my body as you said that, yeah. Yeah, because I just know the amount of stress um, it will take to tr- to try to convince make this happen. Yeah. Is the cat react violently to being held? Um, if we've ever had to do, like, we've had to cut. Uh, you know, knots out of his fur when they've gotten really bad, and yeah, he 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 panics, and he will, um, yeah, he, I mean, he will he'll do whatever it takes to try to get away. He goes into a full panic, so he tries to scratch and bite. I mean, he doesn't he doesn't. I don't think he wants to. It's more it's just terrified. He's just terrified. When I am terrified, I scratch and bite too. Yeah. And other things as well. <laughs> Use my elbows and my knees. <laughs> Especially if someone's trying to jab me with a hypodermic needle. <laughs> Even if it's for my own good. <laughs> uh, I did say that lightly because when I was in the hospital, somebody did come in to try to jab me and I screamed. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't let her said, your morning medication I said you get away from me I don't have any morning medication I don't know who that is but you go and get out of my room now <laughs> oh, so I hear you that it's a, it's a, a thorny issue and I also smell the slight whiff of a skunk whenever people start saying well, what's right or what's morally right. Mm. It's just um, it's coercive. Coercive talk. Mm-hmm. So it's important when you're being coerced by that kind of talk to take a step back from it. And to know that mores and morals differ widely among humans. I was reading rereading part of a book that I read a long, long time ago, The Handbook to Higher Consciousness by Ken Kesey. And this statement really caught my eye. When you are offended, you cause more harm than when you offend. Mm. That's very interesting. Uh-huh.
Yeah. And just that idea of, you know, this idea of there's a right way or this is doing what's right. I think it's very, very uh, common, you know, in, in, in the medical communities. I mean, given the health stuff that I've had and interaction with doctors and then now, you know, interacting with the vets, it's like they have a very clear idea of what they think is, is the right thing. Mm-hmm. And very moral judgment about like if you if you don't do this, then you're essentially you know harming your 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 animal. So I you appreciate are. that perspective because it are. does feel like a bit of a, a guilt trip. <laughs> yes, you are, and you are harming your animal, and you're not doing it sadistically. Mm-hmm. You, you in fact, are looking at the harms that your animal can suffer, and it seems to you, as you've expressed it to me, that the harm your animal will suffer, dying from diabetes, will be a lesser harm than being injected. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not like one way is easy and the other way is awful, they're both awful. I'm also thinking that even if my partner can somehow manage to do this, that there's no way that we can get someone else to do it. So, you know, we have travel plans later on this uh, later on this year, and we're hoping to plan a trip to abroad next year. And I just am thinking, I mean, there's just no way. Uh, and I'm not going to, you know, cancel travel plans um, because of, you know, like I, I, I want to be able to still go and live my life and enjoy myself. And well, I don't know what the effect this, is let's take, of the let's cat take going on and off of... Let's take this one yeah. step further. It sounds to me like it would be a profitable question or a profitable conversation with the vet to say, I really can't do that. What do you think about euthanizing this cat? It won't be pretty to watch the cat die of diabetes. Mm-hmm. And it won't necessarily be quick. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to say uh, thank you so much. Uh, you know, every time we've spoken and even just listening to you talk to other callers, I, I'm always struck by the 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 limitless possi- the limitlessness <laughs> of life uh, and how the way in which you bring in 
these ideas that, you know, I think, oh, I ha-, you know, it's this or this, <laughs> you know, these are the, these are the, these are the options. And then, you know, it's like, I, I just really, really appreciate how you are thinking about, well, wait a minute, what, what are all, what are all the possibilities? We don't necessarily need to be bound by only this or this. What if there's another thing? And, um, you know, I just, it, it, it has literally changed the way that I am in the world. Like I, I'm, you know, I'm able to think about um, in a more expansive way because of you. So I just want to, yeah, I just want to express my heartfelt gratitude uh, for that. Thank you. That certainly expands my smile. What? <laughs> <laughs> um, would I be able to ask a second question, or I, there may be other callers? I don't want to take up too much. Well, let's find out from Sarah Ellen. There are not any other hands raised right now, so go, go ahead. ahead. Okay, uh, thank you. Um, so I I uh, don't know much about about caring for for plants, um, house plants, I should say. Um, I I do harvest some some wild plants and or and um and things um and weeds <laughs> for myself but um but we have uh, a few plants around that we've inherited and been gifted and one of them is uh i, I uh, i'm not so great with the categorizations but it's an it, i know it's a succulent um and it has and i've had it for probably about six years um, it started off as maybe being about six inches high, and it's um, and it used to just have one big stem with one big thing. <laughs> I'm not quite sure how to describe it, with lots of little things. Um, but now it's much bigger, and it's maybe about I don't know two feet high, and now there's multiple of these big thick stems and these big round. I don't know what they're even called at the end of them. Um, they're not flowers. Um, I don't even know if they're leaves, but they're, it's a succulent. And it's, they're, it's, it's very sweet, and I love it, and it's in my window. Um, but recently uh, I noticed that they're – and I feed it my infusion, you know, uh, the, the leftovers from my infusion. And then um, I've also been – when I steam my vegetables, uh, the – uh, not steam, not steam, cook. I cook them very well, but sometimes I do have a little bit of liquid left in the bottom. Um, And so I sometimes will use that, take that liquid, let it cool, and I'll feed that liquid uh, to my houseplants as well Um, because I know it might have some nutrients in there for them. Um, But I've noticed some mold on this one particular plant on the stem toward the top near the, I guess it would be the leaves or whatever. Um, and I, 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 I don't know what to do. I've, I've never had this happen before. Like I said, I don't have a whole lot of experience. I don't, I'm not very knowledgeable about caring for houseplants. Um, and so I wanted to just ask your advice and see if, is there something that could be useful to help 
is this something that could be dangerous for the plants? Should I be taking action to try to get rid of it? Oh yes, it's like yes. a white. It's like a white. Fungi, fung, a fungus white is, is 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 always a threat. Okay. And uh, it can be a, a big threat. Um, it sounds like what you have is a called a jade plant. And they're actually planted outside in California, where I've seen them five feet tall. Mm-hmm. They almost look like little trees. So they can get very, very big indeed. And they they grow best in poor, dry soils. So it has a fungus because it's being overfed. And perhaps overwatered. Uh, uh-huh. Too much of a good thing okay. for it is not a good thing. Okay. The vegetable water, not so good. The infusion stuff, very not good. Can you, can you say that one more time? What you just This said? plant is a succulent. Succulents right. grow in desert environments where there's poor soil, little nutrition, and little mm-hmm. moisture. To keep that plant happy, you need to replicate its favorite conditions. Right. Okay. Wow. So I thought it, doesn't it, was want to be, so it doesn't want to be fusion, <laughs> right? right? It's not a tomato plant or a petunia. Right. <laughs> it's designed to... Make do with little. And when given a lot, it gets sick. And this is true of people, too. You know, we're talking about diabetic cat. Well, among um, Hopi and Navajo people, when they were pushed to assume the standard American diet, uh, there were situations in which 85% of them were diabetic mm. because of the sudden abundance of food, which they weren't used to. And not just personally, but their entire genetics and heredity because they're people of the high desert. So like your jade tree, they're used to low moisture, a lot of sun, not a lot of nutrition, not a lot of protein. And when they get sugars and proteins, it makes them sick. Mm. Okay. I just looked it up actually as we were talking and... um it's called a black rose tree. A and black rose tree. Oh, good. Wow. All right. And is it a succulent? Yes. And what does it say that it likes its growing conditions? Um, let's see. It needs extremely bright light. Water only when the soil dries out completely. Right. Low moisture. And that is the only thing it says on this particular site. 
So pretty much what we're but saying. I, I do see them growing around. I'm in Southern California, and I see them just growing, yeah, in, in very um, uh, dry soils. I, don't, I, I think people, you don't have to do much. Right, dry, poor yeah. soil. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> we figured that one out. Uh, we did. Okay. <laughs> Thank you so much, Susan. <laughs> Thank you. Green blessings. Good night. Okay. Green blessings. Good night. All right. And we do have one caller that has pressed one to raise their hand with a question. And you are dialed in from the 585 area code. From the 585, you are live with Susan. Hello, in the 585. All right, their line is open, but I'm not hearing anyone. So let's see. Um, I don't have a hand raised, but I do have an email question here. Would you like to go to that? Let's. All right. Um, Hello, Susan Weed. Greetings from Tennessee. I started drinking infusions about six weeks ago. Thank you. It seems like along with the nourishment, I'm getting, I'm also getting more curious about the plants beyond ordering them dry. Is there a book or two you can recommend to help me as a complete beginner with no knowledge of gardening or botany to identify wild plants, specifically infusion plants, but also generally curious. In my area, again, Tennessee, with great appreciation. Thank you. Peterson's Field Guide to the Wildflowers of Northeast and North Central North America. Peterson's Field Guide to the Wildflowers for short. But don't get Peterson's Field Guide to the Medicinal Plants. Not that it's a bad book. Nothing bad about it, and I do have it, but it's not a good first book, and that's what you're asking about. Your first book needs to be just a regular field guide so that you begin to sort out the things that look alike. In a field guide to medicinal plants, like Peterson's Field Guide to Medicinal Plants, the problem is that you're trying to stuff two books together into one and without making it unwieldy. So you can't put the things that look like nettle on the same page with nettle, especially if they're not useful or edible. Whereas in a field guide, you can put similar things together because you're not constrained by only being able to use things, show things that are medicinal. Also, um, Peterson's Field Guide to Medicinal Plants has color photographs and plants still looking more like themselves in photographs than you do. The black and white line drawings in Peterson's Field Guide to the Wildflowers are ideal for people who don't know anything about botany or anything about plants to actually be able to tell plants one from the other. There are arrows. I call them the botanist's fingers. But the botanist have left pointing fingers all over the pages in Peterson's Field Guide to the Wildflowers showing you where to look. Point here, look that, look, look how the leaf touches the stalk there. Point here, look, look, there's fuzz on the stalk. Point here, look, this has four petals, that has five petals. It's so easy 
to use. And let that be enough that, that it's an exploration of what's growing around you. And you don't necessarily need to know what they're all used for at this point. If you want to learn more about botany, there's good reasons for learning more about botany. Botany is, in fact, really the royal road to being adept at using herbs because you learn about plant families, and more often than not, members of a plant family are pretty similar, if not identical, in the way they act. Botany in a day is my big pick for learning botany, learning about plant families. I always carp and complain that the very first edition of Botany in a Day, which was a long time ago now, was the very best because it was so simple. The botanists had not gotten to him. And so you just had genus, species, families, and orders, and it was all very clear, but the botanists got to him, and now you have, like, you know, subspecies and suborders and a lot of complication that uh, most of us don't really need to delve into along with nomenclature rules and so on. But nonetheless, Botany in a Day is a wonderful guide to learning about botany, which translates immediately into your ability to use herbs and to use herbs better. I apologize for not remembering his name, but I did meet a herbalist who, with the permission of the author of Botany in a Day, does an online course called Botany in a Day. I bet if you uh, look it up online, you'll probably find that person as well as the book. See if you want somebody to guide you. That's one possibility for getting guided in botany. Then, how do you start using the herbs? Well, many people kind of have a problem, then go out and look and see if they can find an herb that treats it, which is the hardest way around to do it, in fact. What's better is to just identify the plants around you and to begin to talk to people and, and just look in other books as to how some of those plants might be used. The infusion herbs are very easy to find. Linden trees are quite easy to identify. And again, ask somebody, go to your local cooperative extension and say you want to guide to the trees and they can direct you to that. Ask them if there are linden trees planted anywhere about. Red clover is also a very common plant in rural areas and even in cities in vacant lots. And your Peterson's Field Guide will help you distinguish the red clover, which isn't red at all, from other kinds of clover because there's lots of them. Nettle, of course, the uh, wit said that nettle is the easiest plant in the world to find. Just take off your clothes and go walking about at night and you'll find it because it's stinging nettle, isn't it? Stinging nettle likes rich places, especially along riverbanks or ponds and um some people even take to growing nettle because they want it um, as an infusion herb. But look around you. It's not necessarily an easy plant to identify because it doesn't have a big showy flower, but it's there. And um, comfrey is a plant that you'll probably grow in your garden, unless you're in Europe where it does grow wild. But in the North America, comfrey has been introduced first into Canada and then coming into the United States and fairly easy to get. At, at this point, my suggestion is that you only grow uh, 
comfrey that's been hybridized so it doesn't set seeds and that you grow it from a piece of root and that any comfrey that sets seeds might be a mixture in your garden. Um, as I said, the scariest thing at the comfrey conference was 43 seconds of someone videoing in a car from a car driving along a road that's what half a mile of comfrey not just along the road but as far as the eye can see from a package of 10 seeds that she planted only two of which sprouted and grew 40 years ago so do be a little careful when you're growing your comfrey so what do we have linden and red clover and comfrey oh oat straw nettle and oat straw and oat straw is um again uh, especially if you live in california the wild grass is all oats and so very easily harvested it's also easy if you have a home garden to grow oats just don't let it um flower you or if you do let it flower um don't harvest it at that point let it go all the way to seed and then harvest and use the seed in the straw is the either the green before flowering and seeding or the brown after flowering and seeding stalk of the plant milky oats green oats milky stage when the grain is milky is a, another herbal medicine and is used in slightly different ways from a straw infusion that is a long and exhaustive answer thank you for your question green blessings all right. Wow, that was beautiful. And we have uh, two hands that have gone up by pressing one. Uh, the 585 has come back in. So we'll go to you again from the 585. Uh, you are live with Susan from the 585. Hi, Susan. Can you hear me? I can. Oh, good. Hello, I'm Barbara, and I'm so happy to talk to you. You have um, really touched my life with your books and all the information. And my daughters are 22 and 25. I had a home birth. I, I just, I am so happy to be talking to you. I just, I just mailed my daughter um, one of your books, and she was over the other day. And I said, "Oh, honey, you have to have this book." And she goes, "Mom, you just sent that, sent that book to me, Healing Wise." Oh, so thank, thank you. you. How marvelous. I, I can't I can't say it enough. I really can't. And and the other caller said so many things that I just resonated with. And I just just from my heart to yours. I <laughs> thank you. And now I'm entering menopause. And <laughs> so um, and I'm in that like in between like I thought I was gonna like not have my period. And I um, went out and bought white underwear. And like for the last four months now I've had my period. And you know. Um, it's all okay. It's all good. I've had the hot flashes, and I loved what you said about. I watched. This isn't anything I have written down to ask you questions about, but I have so many things to say. I watched an interview, and you were talking about the Kundalini energy, and and I just loved. I had not had any information about that whole energetic experience of menopause, and it was so wonderful to hear you say that and to just be in my body with the experience of that. Thank you for that. And you anything, you want, anything you want to share yeah. about that, I'm happy to hear. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, okay. So my one a question that I do have is specific um, about an evergreen tree. Um, I don't know the name of it. It's, 
just tall and big on, on the edge of our property. There's probably several of them. And um, the neighbors don't like them. They want them to come down. And I'm like, um, I thought that they came to take the tree out one day. And I texted my partner and I said, I'm going to pull Daryl Hannah. And then I texted them later and I said, oh, no, they're just working on the driveway. And he said, are you going to change yourself to the driveway? Um, but anyway, I, <laughs> they, they didn't take the tree out, but they, somebody said it has a fungus. And I, I just don't know how to tell if it's, if it's, you know, if it's time for it to come down. It seems it's, it's growing the little pine cones at the top. And let me know. I don't know if this is something you can address. I know a, a evergreen tree isn't a weed, but... Um, uh-huh. just looking out the window at it now. So, yeah. And, well, and I, um, I want to use it. Like I want to, um, use it as a tincture. Um, and I just, I'm pretty sure like I, it's, it seems like it's safe. And I've heard that evergreen trees are safe unless they're like a small bushy kind of thing. And this is a real tall tree. So I just, I want to know about using it and thoughts about what, you know, what reasons that we would have to take it out. Cause it's a friend to me. <laughs> so completely understand there was a tree on my property that we were advised to take down and we refused to do it and it stood for 25 years Mm. it did fall down and it fell away from the house so you have to really look at it you know is this tree really threatening property damage it's very quick to remove trees in country settings that could fall on houses and of course that's their rationale is that wouldn't you rather that we cut this tree up right now and got rid of it before it falls on your house? Mm. There's no guarantee it's going to fall on your house. Right. I'm not saying it couldn't happen. It could. Right. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's the neighbor's concern. I'll be honest. That's that's the problem. Are they afraid it's going to fall on their house? Yeah, they are. They are. In fact, he he had. He, I walked out one day and he said, um, "Oh, you know, this tree, and you got to take this down." And uh, and I and I just, I was pretty quiet. And, and he looked at me and he said, "You know, your partner won't even talk to me about it." And I just said, "Oh, okay." And so, um, and you know, my partner's he's pretty proactive about things. But anyway, yeah, I I just so let me I'm let me to, ask you this. These trees are on your property, is that correct? Yes, 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 yes. They're on your property. Okay. Do you have homeowner's insurance? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Have you asked your homeowner's insurance what they would do if these trees fell on your neighbor's property? Mm, Right. Well, they would cover everything, I'm sure, I'm guessing, but we haven't asked. Well, then... If you think they would cover everything, that's what I would say. Yeah. So that is, I hear your concern. I certainly don't want anything to happen to your house. I, however, think that this tree has more life left in it. Mm. I want to reassure you that should anything happen, I am fully insured. Oh, that feels really good to hear. It does. The neighbors have gotten together. Like, my neighbors are not horrible people. They are really, I've had horrible neighbors. These are not those kind of neighbors. But they've gotten together, and they've said, hey, we'll pitch in a third, a third, and a third if you guys will cover a third. 
Like that's how much they want it out. And they're not unkind to us. It's not a horrible, you know, that, that can be like that in neighborhoods. It's not like that. But, you know, there's that level of concern. But what you're saying is how I feel inside. Like I really, I'm the one, like I really, <laughs> I really love this. Like I'm writing for the tree. <sighs> yeah. And, can, and can maybe we, you want to make a commitment to the tree that you will talk to it on a regular basis. And if you. the tree says, you know, I'm getting, you know, real tipsy, uh, we should do something that you'll do that. Okay. And you don't, you don't even have to tell these other people you're doing that because you're not doing no, it for I, them. You're doing it for you. No, that's that's great. I I I have been. I have been communicating with the tree, but I really like that specific guidance to to just actually tune into knowing whether it's yeah okay that's a great suggestion. Now, is there a way that I could like take the you know um, can I make a tincture from it? I'm hearing things online about using espresso machines with the the needles, the pine needles. What are your thoughts? Well, do you know what kind of pine it is? I, my neighbor knows. I know he could. He would text me and tell me what it is because they know. And they said this is the fungus that's growing on your tree. So um, I don't know, but I could find out. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Has pine cones. Uh huh. Um. Are they big? Yeah. Oh, it's very big. Yeah. Pine cones are big. Oh, the big. The pine cones are not that big. I mean, some. Um. No. It's hard for me to say what you might do with it, given that I'm pretty in the dark about what it actually is. Pine trees in general contain resins, and those resins can be both beneficial and difficult for humans. Uh, Okay. So resins are like myrrh and frankincense and copal. Propolis mm-hmm. is resins that are gathered by the bees. Okay. So there's, yes, you know, there's certainly a lot of uses for it. Um, some pine trees taste good enough that you could make a vinegar of their needles, which is one of my oh. favorite ways of using them, but not all of them taste that good. One of the presenters at the comfrey conference was talking about different species of comfrey. And the real difficulty here is that they're not well labeled. So you can buy comfrey that says Symphytum officinale and it's Atlantica. Um, mm-hmm. And um, she said, but let me remind you that your body knows and that if really it's the wrong one, um, it won't taste good. Ah. Uh, it okay. just won't taste good to you. Okay. And well, I I, I'm inclined to That's really important for us to remember. So you can go out there and yeah. you can bite, you know, the needles of the tree. Yeah. And you can say, oh, yeah, this tastes good. I want to make some medicine from this. You can say, whoa, Nelly, and not doing this. Okay. Yeah, that's that's what I'm inclined to do. And would I use just the needles and like kind of take them off the 
the sticky br- stick part it's of the branch. Completely up to you again. Those resins are most oh. in the sap, and that sap is most in the inner bark. Okay. All right. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, white pine, which is a native pine of my area, is widely used as medicine because it's very low. And the phenolic compounds, which can can be more problematic um, mm. than, than the terpenes, and they, they all have mixtures of various ones. This fungus that's mm. on your tree, is this just mm. a threat to your tree, or is it a threat to all trees of its kind? Is it a, yeah, new and invasive, think, a new and invasive fungus that they're asking homeowners to cut the trees down to control this fungus? You know, as you're saying that, I'm, I, it's sounding familiar. It's sounding like something that, he, that the neighbor said, like, this is, oh, yeah, this gets in the trees here, and this is what's happening. Yeah, I think that's what was said. So you might want to consider that, that it's certainly your friend and certainly something you want to keep around. But you might do that at the expense of others ever being able to enjoy the tree. Oh. Oh, uh, so I see. Yeah. Kind of tree, right? Because the yeah. fungus then will spread throughout the tree population and kill all the trees. Oh. Okay. All right. Okay. That's what we want to consider. Okay. If it's now if I if I take the tree down like so we have this big tree then right like I, if uh-huh. if well, I don't know yet but so if it comes down then I w- I was thinking well we want to do something with it right so we want to um, value the wood that's there the the needles that are there you know what would be possible um, that that I would well, be capable of managing possible is to find a sawmill to saw it into lumber. doesn't mean you have to do that, but you're asking what's possible, that's... <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know that that would be... I mean, that would be... Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there might be something that they would come and, you know, we could say, and they might say we could... Like, you know, I think somebody took a tree out and they did wood chips that the company was willing to do. You know, it would have to be something that would be manageable, like, in that day, and I... um. Yeah, I'm just considering yeah. how to ma- maximize the life of whatever is in this tree to, you know, be in the whole cycle of it. So, uh-huh. yeah. Um, this was very helpful and very useful. Thank you. I, I'm, I have a lot to consider with the tree, and it's been a really, yeah, it's been a good relationship with this tree. I, I go out, and um, at some point, and it's sort of about an eighth or a quarter mile off the away from the house and then we go to the mailbox right and I pass the tree and I realize no matter how badly I'm feeling when I'm under that tree everything changes <laughs> so it's a oh how wonderful <laughs> oh yeah wow so so ask the tree for some token mm. that you have to remember that feeling. Oh, that's a great idea. And, you know, before we give death to an animal, we talk to it and we tell it that that's going to happen. 
it's really okay to go out and say to the tree, um, I'm participating in giving death to you. Okay. That's just honest. That's completely honest, right? Yeah. Yeah, it feels really clean and clear and direct and truthful. Yes. And isn't okay. that what we want from each other? Especially when we are making a difficult decision. Yeah. To show, well, to show honest, that decisions feeling, tonight, isn't it? I'm feeling kind of like like I could cry. It's it's this is really beautiful. Like I, I actually feel okay about it if it has to happen now. Thank you. It's very, very um in the wholeness of it all. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Green blessings. <sighs> Thanks for sharing with us. Green blessings. Thank you, Susan. It was so nice. Good night. Is uh, Sarah Hanna with us? I don't see. I have two numbers for her. I don't see either one of them in the queue. If you are in the queue, uh, Sarah Shana, if you could please press one so that I can see you. Um, otherwise, I can try to dial her up, but I don't see her in the queue. Well, let's try to dial her up. The sea is silent. All right. I'll hang on just a moment. I will try and do that. All right. Sarah Hanna Silverstein is an herbalist, a classic homeopath, an author, a columnist, a keynote speaker, an adult educator, teacher, and a community advocate for women and children. She's also a wife and mother of seven children. Sarah Hanna is an international board-certified lactation breastfeeding consultant who's helped over 18,000 babies successfully breastfeed. You go, girl. As a doula, she's helped to deliver about 450 babies. Sarah Hanna has walked thousands of women through a focused natural regime that nourishes their physical, emotional, and spiritual lives. Packed with hundreds of tools, tips, and strategies, her new book, Moodtopia. Not to leave a voice message here. You can text message me on this line. I do not check voice messages. Are we still connected? All right, Susan, are you there? I am still here. 
Okay, sorry, I was disconnected in my attempts to reach Sarah Hanna, and I was not successful. Um, got voicemails at both of her numbers. So, I guess we won't get to talk to her tonight. If there's anybody out there who wants to raise their hand, go ahead and do that, or perhaps we have another email question. All right. I don't have an email question, um, but I will remind everyone that we've got some extra time for your live questions this evening. So if you have a question, there is still an opportunity for you to press 1 and get yourself lined up in the queue. Um, Let's see. I don't – I do see a hand that has come in, actually, from the 310 area code. From the 310, you are live with Susan. Oh, hi, Susan, again. <laughs> we spoke hi. about my cat. Hi. Yeah. Um, lucky me, I get a chance to talk to you again. Um, so uh, this time I would like to ask you a question about my Achilles, <laughs> uh, my, my calf. Um, so approximately about a week and a half ago, I was taking a walk, and um, I was heading up, I was in a residential neighborhood, and I was heading up a hill um, on the concrete, and um, I felt a sharp jab right in the back of my, in my calf, kind of on the low end, Um, and it it, it was sudden and quick, and then it went away just as quickly, Um, but then a few um, moments later, I kind of kept going up the hill, I thought, well, that was strange, I kept going up the hill, and then a flood of pain just came came in rushing into my um, my lower back calf area. Um, so I have been uh, resting it, um, and I have been I was not able to attend the Convert conference yet, but I did sign up for it. I'm excited to get caught up when I have the time on all of that wonderful material, um, and uh, I have been using Comfrey. So what I've been doing is um, I make the infusion, I strain it mostly, but then I take the wet, um, use uh, the wet spent um, uh, comfrey leaves, uh, and I I used to wrap it in a cloth and and apply it that way, um, but lately I've been putting it just I, directly on. So I just I, I I put it just directly onto the skin and then I wrap it up with with some uh, towels so that I don't get you know. Um, I'm not leaking it around the house. Um, so that's been, it's been about a week and a half. Um, and it, it's definitely getting better. I think the comfrey's helping at, in the evening or at, at night to sleep. I put um, a uh, comfrey uh, and CBD salve on it. Um, and then I have the comfrey literally just all day. I have my, the, my ankle and calf area like wrapped uh, with this comfrey uh uh, leaf infusion um, but at this point so it's now been about a week and a half and like I said the, the it's getting a lot better every day it's getting better um, I think it was the, the part of my leg this specifically I think was affected was um, my Achilles because it, it feels like the pain feels like it's coming up from my heel not it doesn't go all the way down under my foot but it starts you know, at the back of my uh, ankle, 
and it kind of um, it kind of radiates upward from there to about my mid calf. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, I've been that. I mean, I, I that's pretty pretty much all I've been doing. I've just been I've been doing the resting. Um, well, initially I did icing as well. I felt like I, it needed it needed to be raised. It needed to be iced, and then I had just lots and lots of comfrey just directly on it. Um, but then after a few days, I didn't feel the need so much for ice, but I kept with the comfrey. So at this point, I guess what my question is, um, should I still be resting it and just doing as I'm doing and just letting it continue to get better um, and, and not trying to, like, add, you know, some sort of exercises um, or should I, at this point, after a week and a half, be thinking about, um, you know, maybe bringing some strengthening back in. I'm, I've been staying off of it as much as I can. In general, when there's an injury to a tendon or a ligament or sprain, you need to stay off it for six weeks. Six weeks, okay. And it's slow to heal. Yeah. yeah. I know it seems like a long time. Or whatever you can do to limit your use and to continue what you're doing, which sounds absolutely perfect. Right? Rest, ice, keeping it up. It's all good stuff. Mhm. Okay. Yeah, I, I I notice that when I when I do walk on it more if I'm standing. Uh, it, it it starts to hurt quite a bit, and so I pulled out a, a, a it tool. It's kind of like your healing is going back to zero. It feels yeah, it feels that way. Yeah, it, it feels that way. And that's and that's what's happening. So and that's why you really really need to limit it because you're saying oh it's been a week and a half, but your body's saying no it hasn't been any time at all yet. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. So you really, really want to do your best to know where that line is that it hurts and not cross it. I know it's not always possible. Okay. Right. But six weeks from now, you can start to think about strengthening it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think there have been times where I have, I think, waited too long, you know, and not used a particular part of my body because I thought, well, you know, I, I don't want to re-injure it. I don't want to make it worse. And so I thought, um, you know, maybe maybe it's ready. But it does, as I'm speaking of this, I'm like, I, I, my body is telling me it's not ready. Um, and so okay. I'm appreciating the reminder as well that I really can listen to my body uh and that it, it will tell me, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good for you. All right. Um, right. I will... Uh, and I, I, and I hear you about that. It's the, it's the point at which I always seek out a physical therapist, and I say, okay, I've been a, a good, responsible person in babying myself. Now you be the, the wicked stepmother and make me work. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a great that's a great suggestion because it's it's hard uh it's hard for me to, to to push myself to do it and I think if I'm accountable to somebody else I will I will do whatever they tell me so Exactly. Um, that's great. <laughs> And you can continue to baby yourself because somebody else is making sure that you do the right stuff. Right, right, right. All right, well, uh, I'll keep you posted and let you know how the healing is going. Thank you so much, Susan. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Green blessings. Okay, green blessings. Good night. Good night. All right. Sarah Hanna has uh, dialed into the queue. Are you... I didn't get to hear the instruction because I was dialing her up, but um, would you like me to go ahead and open our line? Absolutely. Welcome to the show, Sarahana. Hi, Susan. How are you? Green blessings. Green blessings. It's so wonderful to have you here. Thank you so much. We were saying previous that um, with the shortage of formula, that uh, one would hope that there would be a kind of surge in women saying, well, maybe I should just breastfeed instead of use formula. Is that happening? You know, I have to tell you, Susan, that for your listeners out there, I'm an international board-certified lactation consultant, and I've helped to date. My son kind of did the counting at least over 40,000 breastfeeding moms and babies um, and I, 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 I'm proud of that count because it means that there were so many women that had the understanding that if things weren't going smoothly they needed to reach out but with this formula shortage the national radio shows and television shows are not really discussing breastfeeding as an option to potential future crises with formula So if you're opening up that topic, I would love to share with people after seeing so many mother-baby dyads that women have so many different shaped nipples and sizes. They have long nipples, short nipples, fat nipples, inverted nipples, flat nipples. And then when you look at babies' mouths, you can have high palates, low palates, tongue tie, inability to coordinate sexual breathe, high-tone baby, low-tone babies. So when women want to breastfeed, it's very important to have someone like a well-trained midwife or a lactation consultant look at the couple because different babies need to be nursed in different positions. Different women need to hold their breasts in different ways. And, Susan, I'm hoping that you had a very easy experience with breastfeeding, but my statistic from my experience in my clinic is probably, Susan, that 8 out of 10 women struggle with breastfeeding. The statistics nationwide is less than 20% of women breastfeed in the U.S. past six weeks and that's because people are all oh breast is best it's so fabulous everybody should breastfeed and all the hospitals have these big signs that say breast is best but for from my experience most women and babies need to be taught to breastfeed and I want to tell you Susan that I've had the honor of working with four-pound babies, three-pound babies, 10- and 11-pound babies. 
babies before and after open heart surgery, babies that had were born with different challenges and were bottle fed for the first eight weeks of life and then came into my office having complete nipple confusion and we those babies how to breastfeed. So I think the most important message from my I don't want to age myself because I kind of lie about my age, but my 30 years experience of working with moms and babies is that if women expect it to be a bit of a challenge and a learning experience and not feel that it's they're doing anything wrong to reach out for help, I think we could get that statistic in the U.S. to way over 85%. Yes. I do. But you know, I'm so glad that you mentioned what I've heard as well, which is yeah. it's never too late to decide you want to breastfeed your baby. You know, there there is a bit like from my limited overuse, not limited, my experience with breastfeeding moms is that under three months we can get most babies back on the breast. If they've been bottle fed for four months, though, Susan. There's 51 muscles that make up the oral cavity, and they have to work in a beautiful orchestrated concert to, to strip the milk from the mother's breast and be able to transfer it from the breast into the mouth. And if they haven't been using those 51 muscle groups for the first four months, there's a philosophy in medicine, if you don't use it, you lose it. So after four months, it's hard to get babies mm. to want to breastfeed. That's kind of like the cutoff point. But here's the thing that I want to tell the nation, and, and I want people to understand that. Studies have shown that if you haven't breastfed for five years and you didn't give birth for five years and you haven't gone through menopause, that a woman can increase and make breast milk. So with this crisis that's going on across the U.S., some of these women need to borrow a newborn baby from a friend to stimulate their milk, borrow a three-month-old from a friend to stimulate their milk, even if they're running out of milk with their nine- or ten-month-old, and or begin to pump because the milk will come back in, Susan. It will. It's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing. It's amazing. Totally. Our breasts were created to breastfeed on. And again, I'm going to repeat till I'm blue in the face, however that statement goes, is that some women have difficult breasts and difficult nipples. And it may be hard for those women, but people can learn. You know, when people bring in babies to me, Susan, I go, some kids have trouble reading. Some kids have trouble cutting with scissors. Some kids have trouble getting potty trained. Some people are not. So, some kids are not so coordinated. You're not going to give up on your kid if your kid wants to swim, but they're not so coordinated. You're going to sit there with a teacher or do it yourself. Have patience, reward, patience, reward. It's the same thing with babies. We can reward them. We can compliment them. We can give them skin to skin. We can get them in a state where even if they're struggling, they can feel like rock stars and build the muscles they need to to breastfeed. Well, I have to say that what you're saying is exactly right. I was in this funny situation with a woman who was traveling with me, and she had left her 13-month-old with her mom, and she was engorged. Yep. And she said to me, suck on my breast. Okay. And I couldn't. I couldn't.
couldn't get any milk out of her breast. Because <laughs> I was a mama said, baby, I couldn't coordinate those 50. I didn't have those 51 muscles to do it. Right, but what, you, but what I could teach any woman on Zoom, <laughs> on WhatsApp video, <laughs> is how to hand express the breast. So there's a technique. There was a woman named Shelly Marmette. She was the first lactation consultant in the U.S., brilliant, brilliant woman, you know, like five feet tall, kind of sharp and strong and dynamo she was. And she took 15 hours and taught me how to hand express a breast. Her philosophy was if the electricity ever goes out, if pharmaceutical companies ever stop producing breast milk, which we're seeing, if all of a sudden all the pharmacies in your area break down, <laughs> you can learn with your hands to hand express your breast and soothe them. Wow. All women can learn it. And it's just, you know, look, in high school, girls should learn about their breasts and how they work and how they produce milk. And in college, women should all be taught how to hand express their breasts. This should be part of the education, just like you have to look both ways before you cross the street. And this, to me, is just as important as that. I love it. That's such a wonderful way to look at it. This should just be part of the curriculum. We be given this knowledge so that we can take care of ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. because women want to take care of themselves. Yeah. But it can be difficult yeah. to convince medical professionals that women want to or are capable of taking care of themselves. As I'm sure you know, having been a doula and having seen over and over again, doctors assume that no woman wants to take care of herself. Right. Right, and even absolutely. I mean, I'm like, I'm like, absolutely. But even Susan, for example, like if we get what is called a milk fever, now I don't even call it a breast infection because you're not really going to see infected. You're not going to see infected milk. You're rarely going to see infected tissue. When a woman gets a milk fever or a breast infection, right? What I do in my office is we only put cold compresses so what i was taught in school is that you put hot compresses on an engorged breast but susan if you have swollen tissue red swollen tissue you want to reduce the inflammation so here's how it goes you get engorged you you pack your ice and your your breasts in ice it's cold for about a minute, and then women are, like, blowing me kisses across the room. Thank you, thank you, thank you. When we reduce the inflammation around the ducts, the milk starts flowing, Susan. And I don't know where it came about to put hot compresses on swollen tissue. So when you get engorged or have a breast infection, the tissue around the duct, Susan, gets swollen. It puts pressure on the tubes or the ducts that release the milk, you ice them, or that's where cabbage became popular, you reduce the inflammation, and then you can get the milk out. I also do potato poultices. Peel my potato, because the potato skin can stain. Grate that potato, put it in a cheesecloth, or you can add a little slippery elm bark powder if you are, you know, have that in your house. 
and you put that up against a swollen breast, Susan, and the breast will start releasing and healing itself within a half hour. Why can't we tell women about potato poultices? It's so inexpensive. If you don't have cheesecloth in your house, you can take an old nylon. If you don't have an old nylon in your house, you can take an old um, an old paper um, uh, uh, material napkin. You know, you can figure it out in your house. We all have something we can cut up, even an old T-shirt. Why doesn't the world know about a potato poultice for swollen breasts? I don't get it. Because it is, in the words of the medical professionals, difficult to standardize. Uh, yeah. Because <laughs> we've got white potatoes, white potatoes, you got <laughs> You know what? They all work. I don't care the size of the shape. I don't care organic or non-organic. I don't care where it's grown. You peel that potato, make a poultice, Susan. Women feel better. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but it makes the medical profession just crazy that we don't insist on standardization, that we say, well, it doesn't matter if it's a little more or a little less. It's like, oh, no, 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 no. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I teach my clients in my office, speaking of standardization, so when clients come into my office, I say, look, there's one good part of our medical care, Right. It goes like this. God forbid someone's in a car accident or gets a gunshot wound, right? And you're brought immediately into an emergency room. And you've got a crew of three nurses, two PAs, and two doctors, right? You want them to have a standard in an emergency. You don't want the the nurse going, well, you know, I read a study three years ago, and the PA going, well, maybe he doesn't need blood right now, right? That's a phenomenal time when we have this standard of protocol. Everybody works together together. For that immediate emergency, Susan, then when the person gets out of crisis, then the medical outlook has to switch completely. Now but what it, does this But unfortunately do? it doesn't. Right. But I explain because, you know, people, because I'm not anti-doctors in my office because, you know, the old saying is even some of my best friends are doctors, right? So I'm right. Saying, in that situation, we love standard of care. But the second the person recovers, are they tall? Are they short? Are they heavy? Are they thin? What's their diet? Are they exercising? Do they need positive reinforcement? Do they like music? Do they like essential oils? In that recovery mode after that emergency is when if the medical care doesn't transition to you as an individual, you're not going to heal properly. So like I say, someone comes into me, They've got a breast infection, 103 fever. They really are shaking. They're, you know, not doing well. My standard of protocol, Susan, is I'm going to ice those breasts for 20 minutes. I'm going to make a potato poultice. I'm going to give them an herb to, you know, maybe not lower their temperature, but make, it, make them feel a little bit better. I'm going to use the homeopathic remedy, Phytolaca. Then I'm going to hand express the breast for a good 20 minutes because I don't put a pump on them. And then, Susan, when they can see straight, I've hydrated them. They've got some herbs and homeopathy in their body, and they're calm. I say, okay, what went wrong? <laughs> what do we need to fix with this breastfeeding dyad? Were you putting your baby on a schedule? Were you not nursing on demand? Were you letting the baby use you as a human pacifier? Did you have a fight with your partner? Right, Susan? That's the time after the crisis that I'm going to get in and try to fix the breastfeeding or the strep throat or whatever the person's going through so that the protocol fits 
them, their culture, their religion, their lifestyle, their, their world outlook, and then healing begins. I love it. What wonderful, wonderful advice and what blessed outcomes you have from being able to take the whole woman into account and to stand by her when there has to be emergency things going on. Um, It was certainly one of the things that radicalized me early on was to see my teachers, lovely though they were, um, be very mean to people who went to doctors. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just, you know, last time we spoke, I, I told you, probably part of the story that my daughter, um, I talk about it in my book, Moodtopia in the opening of the book, my daughter got transverse myelitis and she became a quadriplegic from the shoulders down. My beautiful 23 year old daughter within an hour went from being the most funky, fun young woman, got transverse myelitis and became a quadriplegic within an hour. And we can either decide to talk about this now or not. But the point I wanted to make was when I was in our hospital room, we were in one hospital for 4.5 months and then a rehab for four months. It was a very long time, Susan. I'm a mother of seven, but I was with her 24-7. My other children did not have a mother, and I would never leave her side. And one of the first things I did, Susan, I'm such a rebel, right? I put a poster a big poster board on the fr- the door of her hospital room, and I said, "If you're in a bad mood, don't come in, or <laughs> before you enter." And in her hospital room, I moved every piece of furniture, trying to find the feng shui, as much of a feng shui as you can, um, you know, do in a hospital room. I sprayed different oils and essential oils around the room because hospitals smell like death and blood. And it turned out, and I put plants everywhere. I put posters on the wall. I mean, Susan, you would not have believed what I did. But the nurses ended up knocking on my door, Susan, and saying, can I eat my lunch in your room? It's the most pleasant place in the hospital. And the nurses would check in with her more, Susan. She got better care because the nurses just loved the environment that we were trying to create amongst chaos. And those doctors, you know, with their mean faces and their mean energies, I mean, I would kick them out of the room, Susan. If they couldn't be nice and kind to my daughter, we didn't need them because none of the care they were going to give us was going to help unless they were in a good, positive place. Today, Susan, despite all prognosis and diagnosis, my daughter is not in bed. She is not paralyzed. She walks with a cane. Susan, I snuck into the hospital room against every rule in the world, an acupuncturist, craniosacral, Feldenkrais, Massage therapy, Susan, I ran around the hospital to any massage therapy place. I found this adorable Chinese woman who didn't even speak English. I wish I spoke Chinese. I kind of like grabbed her hand, put a $100 bill in her hand, asked her boss if I could borrow her for an hour, came to the hospital, 
She locked the door, stood up over my daughter, and worked magic on her. So to this day, my daughter is not completely cured, Susan, but she is a highly functioning, young, beautiful woman who can walk. And has a wonderful, wonderful mother. Every woman and child, and of course the men around them as well, who comes into contact with you certainly benefits. Thank you so much for sharing all of these things. We are all heartened and strengthened by you. Thank you, Susan. Thank you. And I would love to talk to you more, but the blog talk show really slams the gate on us. So I need to ask you what you would like to leave as your last thoughts with the people who've been listening to you tonight, Sarah Hanna. And if you want to start by telling them how they can get in touch with you, that's fine. And then give us uh, some words of ending here, please. Sure. Thank you, Susan. It's such an honor. I'm, I'm, I'm your groupie. I could speak for a half hour when I was a young mom and, Having seven kids, how I read every one of your books, first page to last page, like nonstop. So you really encouraged me without meeting me in person to go back, and I did a five-year program in classical homeopathy. I studied herbal medicine for five years. Then I did 2,500 clinical hours in the hospital. We can go on and on, but you were really the impetus just to let you know. But if anybody wants to reach out to me, um, my website is sarahana.com or moodtopiabook.com. The name of my book, which you can find on Amazon, is Moodtopia. And I have an Instagram page that I'm really proud of. At first, I didn't love Instagram, Susan. But now I, a couple times a week, put up one little one-minute videos introducing um, people to plants in tincture, you know, tea form, out. I take walks. And what what you're going to love, Susan, is that I do weed walks around Brooklyn, New York. I and love it. Through the alleys, we look under cars. We look, excuse me, between buildings. We yes. lift up garbage on the streets. And I show them all the medicinal plants that are growing all around us. I just did one two weeks ago. And it was amazing because to the right, there were guys playing basketball. To the left, there were guys smoking a lot of ganja. And around the corner, there were people doing karate. And there we were on the streets picking plants, looking at plants, smelling plants in the middle of the bit- one of the busiest inner cities in the United States. Yep. Isn't it, isn't it magnificent? <laughs> yes, and it was so fun because people brought their children, their teenagers, and they just loved them. You could see the sparkle, Susan. These are inner city kids, and you see a child, you hand them even just a little dandelion flower, right? And they've got these these little twinkles in their eyes. And I had some shepherd's purse with the beautiful little white delicate flowers on top and handed it to another girl, and she just wanted to put it in her hair. So, Susan, it's just so amazing because we all walk down these busy streets those of us that are city dwellers and we're trying not to get hit by a car (laughs) you know we're trying not to breathe in the exhaust and you just look down a little to your right and to see a medicinal plant just makes the world a place worth living in certainly is 
Thank you so much. Thank you for helping to reweave the healing cloak of the ancients, and thank you for helping to restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. And thank you to Sarah Ellen for helping out so much with the Comfrey Conference. Green blessings, everyone, and good night. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.